We're continuing with the reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And we're taking up at chapter 59, entitled, The Deliverance of the Demon, Demon Bomasura. The story of Bomasura, how he kidnapped and made captive 16,000 princesses by collecting them from the palaces of various kings and how he was killed by Krishna, the Supreme Lord of wonderful character, is all described by Shukadeva Goswami to King Prikshit and Srimad Bhagavatam. How is everybody? I need a verbal yes. yes. Just like in the... Happy? All right. Please increase the fan. Any other needs, interests, or concerns that we can address? You'd like? We'd like a milkshake. A milkshake on the aisle one, please. <laughs> the story of Vomasura, how he kidnapped and made captive 16,000 princesses by collecting them from the palaces of various kings and how he was killed by Krishna, the Supreme Lord of wonderful character, is all described by Shukadeva Goswami to Parikshit Maharaj in Srimad Bhagavatam. Generally, the demons are always against the demigods. This demon, Bhomasura, having become very powerful, took by force the umbrella from the throne of the demigod Varuna. He also took the earrings of Aditi, the mother of the demigods. He conquered the portion of heavenly Mount Meru, known as Mani Parvat, and occupied it. The king of the heavenly planets, Indra, therefore, came to Dwarka to complain about Bhomasura before Lord Krishna. Hearing this complaint by Indra, the king of heaven, Lord Krishna, accompanied by his wife, Satyabhama, immediately started for the abode of Bhomasura. The two of them rode on the back of Garuda, who flew them to Pragdoshtishtapura, Bhomasura's capital city. To enter the city of Pragdoshtapura was not a very easy task because it was very well fortified. First of all, there are four strongholds guarding the four directions of the city, which was well protected on all sides by formidable military strength. The next boundary was a water canal all around the city, and in addition, the whole city was surrounded by electric wires. The next fortification was of anila, a gaseous substance. After this, there was a network of barbed wire constructed by a demon of the name Mura. The city appeared well protected even in terms of today's scientific advancements. When Krishna arrived, he broke all the strongholds to pieces by the strokes of his club and scattered the military strength here and there by the constant onslaught of his arrows. With his celebrated Sudarshana Chakra, he counteracted the electrified boundary, annihilated the canals of water and the gaseous boundary, and cut to pieces the electrified network fabricated by the demon Mura. By the vibration of his conch shell, he broke the hearts of the great fighters and also broke the fighting machines that were there. Similarly, he broke the walls around the city with his invincible club. The vibration of Lord Krishna's conch shell sounded like a thunderbolt at the time of the, 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 the dissolution of the whole cosmic manifestation. 
The demon Mura heard the vibration of the conch shell, awakened from his sleep, and came out to see what had happened. He had five heads and had long been living within the water. The Mura demon was as brilliant as the sun at the time of the dissolution of the cosmos, and his temper was like blazing fire. The effulgence of his body was so dazzling that he was difficult to see with open eyes. When he came out, he first took out his trident and rushed the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The demon Mura, is, in his onslaught, was like a big snake attacking Garuda. His angry mood was very severe, and he appeared ready to devour the three worlds. First of all, he attacked the carrier of Krishna, Garuda, by whirling and then throwing his trident. And through his five mouths, he vibrated sounds like the roaring of a lion. These roaring vibrations spread all over the atmosphere until they extended all over the world and into outer space, up and down and out to the ten directions, rumbling throughout the entire universe. Lord Krishna saw that the trident of the Mura demon was rushing toward his carrier, Garuda. Immediately, by a trick of his hand, he took two arrows and threw them toward the trident, cutting it to pieces. Simultaneously, using many arrows, he pierced the mouths of the demon Mura. When the Mura demon saw him outmaneuvered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he immediately began to strike the Lord in great anger with his club. But Lord Krishna, with his own club, broke the club of Mura to pieces before it could reach him. The demon, bereft of his weapon, decided to attack Krishna with his strong arms. But Krishna, with the aid of a Sudarshana chakra, immediately separated the demon's five heads from his body. The demon then fell into the water just as the peak of a mountain falls into the ocean after being struck by the thunderbolt of Indra. This demon Mura had seven sons named Tamra, Antariksha, Shavana, Vibhavasu, Vasu, Nabhasvan, and Aruna. All of them became puffed up and vengeful because of the death of their father, and to retaliate, they prepared in great anger to fight with Krishna. They equipped themselves with the necessary weapons and situated Pita, another demon, to act as commander in the battle. By the order of Bomasura, all of them combinedly attacked Krishna. When they came before Lord Krishna, they began to shower him with many kinds of weapons, like swords, clubs, lances, arrows, and tridents. But they did not know that the strength of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is unlimited and invincible. Krishna, with his arrows, cut all the weapons of the men of Bomasura into pieces, like grains. Krishna then threw his weapons, and Bomasura's commander-in-chief, Pita, along with his assistants, fell down. Krishna then threw his weapons, and Bomasura's commander-in-chief, Pita, along with his assistants, fell down, their military dress cut off, and their heads, legs, arms, and thighs severed. All of them were sent to the superintendent of death, Yamaraj. Bhumasura, who was also known as Narakasura, happened to be the son of the earth personified. When he saw that all his soldiers, commanders, and fighters had been killed on the battlefield by the strokes of the weapons of the personality of God, and he became exceedingly angry at the Lord. It's the Lord's son. Huh? He says in the Mahabharata, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat, 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was expressing his love for his devotees, and he said, to protect my devotees, I'll kill even my own son. And he gave this instance, Bomasura. He was born when Varaha picked up the, the earth, this tusk. She was impregnated at that time, gave birth to Bomasura. Bomasura, who was also known as Narakasura, happened to be the son of the earth personified. When he saw that all his soldiers, commanders, and fighters had been killed on the battlefield by the strokes of the weapons of the personality of Godhead, he became exceedingly angry at the Lord. He then came out of the city with a great number of elephants who had all been born and brought up on the seashore. All of them were highly intoxicated. When they came out, they saw that Lord Krishna and his wife were beautifully situated high in outer space, just like a blackish cloud about the sun, glittering with the light of electricity. The demon Bomasura immediately released a weapon called Shatankni, Shatukni, by which he could kill hundreds of warriors with one stroke. And all his assistants simultaneously threw their respective weapons at the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Lord Krishna counteracted all these weapons by releasing his feathered arrows. The result of this fight was that all the soldiers and commanders of Bomasura fell to the ground, their arms, legs, and heads separated from their trunks, and all their horses and elephants also fell with them. In this way, all the weapons released by Bomasura were cut to pieces by the Lord's arrows. The Lord was fighting on the back of Garuda, who was helping him by striking the horses and elephants with his wings and scratching their heads with his nails and sharp beak. The elephants, feeling much pain from Garuda's attack on them, all dispersed from the battlefield. Bomasura alone remained on the battlefield, and he engaged himself in fighting with Krishna. He saw that Krishna's carrier, Garuda, had caused great disturbance to his soldiers and elephants, and in great anger he struck Garuda with all his strength, which defied the strength of a thunderbolt. Fortunately, Garuda was not an ordinary bird, and he felt the strokes given by Bomasura just like a great elephant feels the impact of a garland of flowers. Bomasura thus came to see that none of his tricks would act upon Krishna, and he became aware that all his attempts to kill Krishna would be frustrated. Yet he tried for the last time, taking a trident in his hand to strike him. Krishna was so dexterous that before Bhamasura could throw his trident, his head was cut off by the sharp Sudarshan chakra. His head, illuminated by earrings and helmet, fell down on the battlefield. On the occasion of Bomasura as being killed by Lord Krishna, all the demons' relatives screamed in disappointment, and the saintly persons glorified the chivalrous activities of the Lord. Taking this opportunity, the denizens of the heavenly planets showered flowers on the Lord. At this time, <clears throat> at this time, the earth personified appeared before Lord Krishna and greeted him with a Vajayantik flower garland. She then returned the dazzling earrings of Aditi bedecked with jewels and gold. She also returned the umbrella of Varuna along with a valuable jewel which she presented to Krishna. After this, the earth personified offered her prayers to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Master of the World, who was always worshipped 
by exalted demigods. She fell down in obeisances and in great devotional ecstasy began to speak. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Lord, who is always present with four symbols, namely his conch shell, disc, lotus, and club, and who is the Lord of all demigods. Please accept my respectful obeisances unto you. My dear Lord, you are the super soul, and in order to satisfy the aspirations of your devotees, you descend to the earth in your various transcendental incarnations, which are just appropriate to the devotee's worshipful desire. Kindly accept my respectful obeisances. <clears throat> my dear Lord, the lotus, the lotus flower grows out of your navel, and you are always decorated with a garland of lotus flowers. Your eyes are always spread like the petals of a lotus flower, <clears throat> and therefore you, they are all pleasing to the eyes of others. Your soft and delicate lotus feet are always worshipped by your unalloyed devotees, and those lotus feet pacify their lotus-like hearts. I therefore repeatedly offer my respectful obeisances unto you. You possess all beauty, strength, fame, property, knowledge, and renunciation. You are the shelter of all six opulences. <clears throat> Although you are all-pervading, you have appeared <clears throat> as the son of Vasudeva. Please, therefore, accept my respectful obeisances. You are the original Supreme Personality of Godhead and the Supreme Cause of all causes. Only your Lordship is the reservoir of all knowledge. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto you. Personally, you are unborn. Still, you are the father of the whole cosmic manifestation. You are the reservoir and shelter of all kinds of energies. The manifested appearance of this world is caused by you, and you are both the cause and effect of this cosmic manifestation. Please, therefore, accept my respectful obeisances. My dear Lord, as for the three gods, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, they are not independent of you. When there is a necessity for creating this cosmic manifestation, you create your passionate appearance of Brahma, and when you want to maintain this cosmic manifestation, you expand yourself as Lord Vishnu, the reservoir of all goodness. Similarly, you appear as Lord Shiva, master of the mode of ignorance, and thus dissolve the whole creation. You also maintain your transcendental position in spite of creating these three modes of material nature. <clears throat> you are never entangled in these modes of nature as the ordinary living, living entities are. Actually, my Lord, you are the material nature. You are the father of the universe. And you are the eternal, and you are eternal time, which has caused the combination of the elements of nature <clears throat> and the manifestation of the material creation. Still, you are always transcendental to all these material activities. My dear Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, I know that earth, water, fire, air, sky, the five sense objects, mind, the senses and their deities, egotism, and the total material energy, all things animate and inanimate animate, <clears throat> in this phenomenal world rests upon you. 
Since everything is produced of you, nothing can be separate from you. Yet since you are transcendentally situated, nothing material can be identified with your personality. Everything is therefore simultaneous one, simultaneously one with you and different from you. And the philosophers who try to separate everything from you are certainly mistaken in their viewpoint. My dear Lord, may I inform you that this boy, whose name is Bhagadatta, is the son of my son, Bhomasura? He has been very much affected by the ghastly situation created by the death of his father and has become very much confused and afraid. <clears throat> I have therefore brought him to surrender unto your lotus feet. I request your lordship to give shelter to this boy and bless him with your lotus feet. I bring him to you so that he may be relieved of the reactions of all these sinful activities of his father. After Lord Krishna had heard the prayers of Mother Earth, he immediately assured her of immunity from all fearful situations. He said to Bhagadatta, Don't be afraid. Then he entered the palace of Bomasura, which was equipped with all kinds of opulences. In the palace of Bomasura, Lord Krishna saw 16,100 young princesses who had been kidnapped and held captive there. When the princesses saw the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna enter the palace, they immediately became captivated by the beauty of the Lord and prayed for His causeless mercy. Within their minds, they decided to accept Lord Krishna as their husband without hesitation. Each one of them prayed to Providence that Krishna might be, become their husband. Sincerely and seriously, they offered their hearts to the lotus feet of Krishna with an unalloyed devotional attitude. As the super-soul in everyone's heart, Krishna could understand their uncontaminated desire and he agreed to accept them as his wives. Thus he arranged for suitable garments and ornaments for them and each of them, seated on a palanquin, was dispatched to Dwarka city. Krishna also collected unlimited wealth from the palace, a treasure of chariots, horses, jewels, and so on. He took from the palace 50 white elephants, each with four tusks, and all of them were dispatched to Dwarka. After this incident, Lord Krishna and Satyabhama entered Amaravati, the capital city of the heavenly planets. And they immediately entered the palace of King Indra and his wife, Sachidevi, who welcomed them. Krishna then presented Indra with the earrings of Aditi. When Krishna and Satyabhama were returning from the capital city of Indra, Satyabhama remembered Krishna's promise to give her a Parijata tree. Taking the opportunity of having come to the heavenly kingdom, she uprooted a Parijata tree and placed it on the back of Garuda. Once Narada had taken a Parijata flower and presented it to Krishna's senior wife, Sri Rukmini Devi. On account of this, Satyabhama had developed an inferiority complex. She also wanted such a flower from Krishna. <clears throat> Krishna could understand the competitive womanly nature of his co-wives 
and he had, and he had smiled. He had immediately asked Satyabhama, Why are you asking for only one flower? I would like to give you a whole tree of Parijata flowers. Actually, Krishna had purposely taken his wife Satyabhama with him <clears throat> so that she could collect the Parijata with her own hand. But the denizens of heaven, have the heavenly planets, including Indra, were irritated. Without their permission, Satyabhama had uprooted a Parijata tree, which is not to be found on the earth planet. Indra, along with other demigods, offered opposition to Krishna and Satyabhama for taking away the tree. But in order to please his favorite wife, Satyabhama, Krishna became determined and adamant. So there was a fight between the demigods and Krishna. As usual, Krishna came out victorious and he triumphantly, triumphantly bought the Parijata tree chosen by his wife to this earth planet, to Dwaraka. After this, the tree was installed in the palace garden of Satyabhama. On account of this extraordinary tree, the garden house of Satyabhama became extraordinarily beautiful. As the Parijata tree came down to the earthly planet, the fragrance of the flowers also came down, and the celestial drones migrated to this earth in search of their fragrance and honey. King Indra's behavior toward Krishna was not very much appreciated by great sages like Shukadeva Goswami. Out of his causeless mercy, Krishna had gone to the heavenly kingdom, Amaravati, to present King Indra with his mother's earrings, which had been lost to Bhaumasara. And Indra had been very glad to receive them. But when a Parijata tree from the heavenly kingdom was taken by Krishna, Indra had fought with him. This was self-interest on the part of Indra. He had offered his prayer, tipping down his head to the lotus feet of Krishna, but as soon as his purpose had been served, he became a different creature. That is the way of the dealings of materialistic men. Materialistic men are always interested in their own profit. For this purpose, they can offer any kind of respect to anyone, but when their personal interest is over, they are no longer friends. This selfish nature is found not only among the richer class of men on this planet, but even in personalities like Indra and other demigods. Too much wealth makes a man selfish. A selfish man is not prepared to take to Krishna consciousness and is condemned by great devotees like Shukadeva Swami. In other words, possession of too many worldly riches is a disqualification for advancement in Krishna consciousness. After defeating Indra, Krishna arranged to marry the 16,100 girls brought from the custody of Vomasura. By expanding himself into 16,100 forms, he simultaneously married them all in different palaces at the same auspicious moment. He thus established the truth that Krishna and no one else is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There is nothing impossible for Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is all-powerful, omnipresent, and imperishable. And so there is nothing wonderful in this pastime. All the palaces of the more thousand queens of Krishna were filled with suitable gardens, furniture and other paraphernalia to which there is no parallel in this world. There is no exaggeration in this story from Srimad Bhagavatam. The queens of Krishna were all expansions of the goddess of fortune, Lakshmiji. Krishna lived with them in different palaces and he treated them exactly the same way 
an ordinary man treats his wife. We should always remember that the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna was playing exactly like a human being, although he showed his extraordinary opulences by simultaneously marrying more than 16,000 wives in more than 16,000 palaces. He behaved with them just like an ordinary man. If required in ordinary homes. Therefore, it is very difficult to understand the characteristics of the Supreme Brahman, the Personality of Godhead. Even demigods like Lord Brahma are unable to probe into the transcendental beings of the Lord. The Personality of Godhead is their husband, although their husband's personality was unknown even to Brahma and the other demigods. In their dealings, as husband and wife, Krishna and his queen would smile, talk, joke, embrace, and so on, and their conjugal relationship every developed. In this way, Krishna and the queens enjoyed transcendental happiness in their household life. Although each and every queen had thousands of maidservants engaged in the queens were all personally attentive to serving Krishna. Each one of them used to receive Krishna personally when he entered the palace. They engaged in seating him on a nice couch, worshipping him with all kinds of paraphernalia, washing his lotus water, offering him betel nuts and massaging his legs. In this way, they gave him relief from the fatigue he felt after being away from home. They fanned him nicely, offered essential floral oil, decorated him with flower garlands, dressed his hair, asked him to lie down to take rest, him palatable dishes. Each queen did all these things herself and did not wait for the maidservants. In other words, his queens displayed on this earth an ideal household life. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 59th the deliverance of the demon Baumasura. Any points you wish to bring out from the story? Yes, Divyanam Prabhu. I have two questions. One is, um, here the 16,000 these queens, are they different to the 16,108 queens of Krishna? What do you mean different? Like in the sense, the, the uh, as in these were in addition to those 16,000 no. Queens, no, it's eight plus sixteen thousand one hundred, sixteen thousand one hundred eight. Oh. He already, in the last chapters, he already eight. Oh, yes. you know he. Each one of they were each one of the marriages was mentioned through, like first was Rukmini, and then Kalindi. Uh, okay, Jambavati. Okay, so then. The, this was the 16,100. The eight's already there. Does that make sense? Yes. Reference to another six, the good number of gopis Krishna had, like we've heard. Are there references to how many gopis? Yes. Well, there's a lot in uh, Vishnu Chakravarti talk commentaries. There's some in the Bhagavatam, but then he expands on it even more. I have a chart if you'd like to look at it. It, it, uh, it actually mentions billions of gopis. <laughs> But then it comes down to 108 primary, and then it it talks about the categories because there are all different categories of gopis. 
Thank you. We can share the charts with you if you like. Yes, Prabhu? Mentioned that Satya Bama's his favorite wife. Sorry. Satya Bama's his favorite wife. I don't know why. I thought Rukmini was his favorite wife, or they all his favorite wives. I, I don't. Anybody know anything about that? According to Rupa Goswami in Lalita Madhava, Satyabhama was Srimati Radharani, and Rukmini was um, Chandravali. And interestingly, when uh, Jagannath Puri, when uh, Gadadhar Pandit was there, and there was this pastime with Malabacharya tried to get Gadadhar Pandit on his side, and uh, it's described there that Gadadhar Pandit was very mild-mannered. He, he he was acting like the goddess of fortune. Uh, I think I think I mentioned Rukmini. Do you remember? No. Yeah, some reference to, to interesting because Gadara Pandit is considered to be Radharani. These are the mysteries of the supreme personality of Godhead that cannot be understood by material calculation, you have to go there and find out for yourself. What about Jagadhar? Is he Satya Two? That is. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure I get the facts here, Maharaj. The Gadadhar Das was the effulgence of Shabbat Any other points? Outside, we very personally uprooted the Parijata tree. I thought that was very astonishing detail. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Yes, Prabhu. I'm wondering, the Bhagavatam um, doesn't go into detail of these like expansions like that, like that Rupa mentions. And what is the detail so much into these things? How do you mean that? That purpose by not going into detail. You mean the purpose for not. Uh, Giving more detail? Is it? Yeah, it's a more. It seems like more. Just even just an introduction to Krishna's pastimes, though, and the, the Bhagavatam. Is well, it, it is eighteen thousand verses. Um, I mean, the the uh, description of Radharani is is truncated. The explanation is by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur that he was aware of the the time constraint. He also knew that if he mentioned the name of Radharani and spoke about her directly, that he could go into a devotional swoon he was prone to and would be incapacitated. Uh, 
and therefore he was careful not to give more explanation. At least that's the case with Srimati Radharani. I'm just wondering because I was astonished at the the, the details. I read um, Shiva the details of the queens, how they how they become expansions of and and well, the, the, the gopis become the queens. It's left to the Chaitanya Charitamrita because there's more explanation there, and then also in Rupa Goswami's Lagu Bhagavatamrita. Charmita, of course, Goswami goes into greater detail about the expansions of Srimati Radharani being first the the wives and then the queens, then the Lakshmi, even energy, all the Shaktis uh, come from Radharani. It's explained there in Chaitanya Charmita in detail. And any other mutations uh, that left undescribed are given Laghu Bhagavatamrita. And partly some of in at least in Chaitanya Charamrita, the author repeatedly says, I haven't gone into more detail due to making the book too voluminous and leaving it to uh, other commentators. But is you know, you can consider that principle about Shukadeva Goswami because they knew they had seven days. He couldn't go into unlimited uh, detail, as a matter of fact. And there is more detail in the uh, Briyat Bhagavatamrita, which is really the echo of the Bhagavatam just after it was spoken, because Uttara, who didn't hear everything in the assembly of sages, approached Prikshit Maharaj just after he had heard the Bhagavatam, and the little time that was left asked him to summarize and even in the summary, there's a lot of detail as well. Hope that satisfies you. Any last points? Hope there is, because I'm looking something up. The Bhagavatam is literally the history of the universe. That's 311 trillion years. So. And there's 335 chapters to cover 311 trillion years. And out of the 335 chapters, 90 chapters are Krishna's Lila, the 10th canto. So for one sense you may say it's not very detailed, but in another sense, relative to anything else, any other person in the Bhagavatam, it's greatly expanded. The other thing is that you won't find Radharani's name hardly at all in the Vedas, in the original Vedas, because it's just too confidential. 94, 95% of the, uh, of the verses in the Vedic hymns are karmakandic in nature. Different sacrifices to improve one's position in this material world. And then the Upanishads and on top of that, and then by the time you get to the Upasana section, the actually worship section, it's just a few, very limited number of verses. And then of those, just a few about Radha and Krishna. That's the nature of confidentiality.
gives it makes us even more fortunate because after Lord Chaitanya came and decided to give freely love of God, then his followers brought out details by his mercy. So rather than think what the purpose of not having enough detail in the Bhagavatam, you should think how fortunate we are to get those details. Yeah, and the Tuffet Sandarbha has said that there's there are more cantos in higher planetary systems. So many, if we were selling those door to door, <laughs> they'd have to move out. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, if you take this, you're going to have to move out of your house. In Gorgona Deshi Deepika, Shogunananda Pandit is described as Satyabhama, one of the principal queens of Krishna and Dwarka. Satyabhama Prakasho Pija. He participated in many of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes. Chapter 60 talks between Krishna and Rukmini. Arguably, last chapter. That and the prayers of the kings when they get rescued from Jarasandha. Okay? Subtik. Go. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, the bestower of all knowledge upon all living entities, from Brahma to the insignificant ant was sitting in the bedroom of Rukmini of a lord along with her assistant maidservants. Krishna was in the bedstead of Rukmini and the maidservants were fanning him with tail fly whisks. Lord Krishna's dealings with Rukmini as a husband are a perfect manifestation of the, of the personality of Godhead. There are many philosophers who propound a concept of the absolute truth in which God cannot do They deny the incarnation of God or the supreme absolute truth in human form. But actually the fact is different. God cannot be subject to our imperfect sensual activities. He is the all-powerful, omnipresent personality of Godhead. And by his supreme will, he can not only create, maintain, and annihilate the whole cosmic manifestation, but also descend as an ordinary man, being an ordinary human being, to execute the highest mission. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, whenever there are discrepancies in the discharge of human occupational duties, he descends by his own personal potency in order to reestablish the standard functions of human activities and simultaneously annihilate the disturbing elements in the progressive march of human civilization. In accordance with this principle of the transcendental pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he descended in his eternal form as Sri Krishna in the dynasty of the Yadus. The palace of Rukmini was wonderfully furnished. Hanging from the ceiling were many canopies with laces bedecked with pearl garlands. The palace was illuminated by the effulgence of valuable jewels. There were many flower groves of Malika and Chameli, which are considered the most fragrant flowers in India. There, 
There were many clusters of these plants with blooming flowers enhancing the beauty of the palace. And besides the exquisite flowers, little, huh? And because of the exquisite fragrance of the flowers, little groups of humming bees gathered around the trees, and at night the pleasing moonshine glittered through the network of holes. There were many heavily flowered trees of Pariyajata, and the mild wind stirred the fragrance of the flowers all around. Incense burned within the walls of the palace, and the fragrant smoke leaked out of the window shutters. Within the room were mattresses covered with white bedsheets. The bedding was as soft as the white of milk foam. In this situation, Lord Sri Krishna sat very comfortably and enjoyed the service of Rukminiji, who was assisted by her maidservants. Rukmini was very eager to get the opportunity to serve her husband, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. She therefore wanted to serve the Lord personally and took the handle of the chamara from the hand of the handle of the chamara was made of gold and bedecked with valuable jewels, and it became more beautiful when taken by Rukmini, because all of her fingers were beautifully set with jeweled rings. Her legs were decorated with jeweled ankle very softly between the pleats of her Rukmini's raised breasts were smeared with kunkum and saffron. Thus, her beauty was enhanced by the reflection of the reddish color emanating from her covered breasts. Her high hips were decorated with a jeweled lace girdle and a lot of great effulgence hung on her neck. Above all, because she was engaged in the service of Lord Krishna, although at that time she was old enough to have grown up her beautiful body was beyond compare in the thistles. When we take into account, take, when we take account of her beautiful face, it appears that the curling hair on her head, the beautiful earrings on her ears, her smiling mouth, and her necklace of gold all combined to shower rains of nectar. And thus it was definitely proved that Rukmini was none other than the original goddess of fortune, who was always engaged in the service of the lotus feet of Narayan. The pastimes of Krishna and Rukmini and Dwarka are accepted by great authorities as manifestations of those of Narayan and Lakshmi, which are of an exalted opulence. The pastimes of Radha and Krishna and Vrindavan are simple and rural, distinguished from the polished urban characteristics of those of Dwarka. The characteristics of Rukmini were unusually bright, and Krishna was very much satisfied with her behavior. <clears throat> Krishna had experienced that when Rukmini was offered a parijanta flower by Narada Muni, Satyabhama had become envious of her co-wife and had immediately demanded a similar flower from Krishna. In fact, she could not be pacified until she was promised the whole tree. And Krishna actually fulfilled his promise. He brought the tree down to the earth planet from the heavenly kingdom. <clears throat> After this episode, Krishna expected that because Satyabhama had been rewarded with a full tree of Parijata, Rukmini would also demand something. Rukmini did not mention anything of the incident, however, for she was grave and simply satisfied in her service. Krishna wanted to see, Krishna wanted to see her a bit irritated, and therefore he schemed to see the beautiful face of Rukmini 
in an irritated condition. Although Krishna had more than 16,100 wives, he used to behave with each of them with familial affection. He would create a particular situation between himself and his wife in which the wife would criticize him in the irritation of love. And Krishna would enjoy this. In this case, because Krishna could not find any fault with Rukmini, for she was very grave and always engaged in his service, he smilingly, in great love, began to speak to her, just to provoke her loving anger. Rukmini was the daughter of Bhishmaka, a powerful king. Thus Krishna did not address her as Rukmini. He addressed her this time as the princess. My dear princess, it is very surprising. Many great personalities in the royal order wanted to marry you. Although not all of them were kings, all possessed the opulence and riches of the kingly order. They were well behaved, learned, famous among kings, beautiful in their bodily features and personal qualifications, liberal, very powerful in strength, and advanced in every respect. <clears throat> they were not unfit in any way. And over and above that, your father and your brother had no objection to such a marriage. On the contrary, they gave their word of honor that you would be married with Shishupal. Indeed, the marriage was sanctioned by both your parents. Shishupal was a great king and was so lusty and mad after your beauty that if he had married you, I think he would always have remained with you like your faithful servant. In comparison to Shishupal, with his personal qualities, I am nothing. And you may personally realize it. I am surprised that you rejected the marriage with Shishupal and accepted me, who am inferior in comparison to Shishupal. <clears throat> I think myself completely unfit to be your husband because you are so beautiful, sober, grave, and exalted. May I inquire from you the reason that induced you to accept me? Now, of course, I may address you as my beautiful wife, but still, I am inform you of my actual position, that I am inferior to all those princes who wanted to marry you. First of all, you may know that I was not so much afraid of that I was so much afraid of Jarasandha that I could not dare live in the land, and thus I have constructed this house within the water of the sea. It is not my business to disclose this secret to others, but you must know that I am not very heroic. I am a coward, and am afraid of my enemies. Still, I am not safe because all the great kings of the land are inimical to me. <clears throat> I have personally created this inimical feeling by fighting with them in many ways. Another fault is that although I am on the throne of Dwarka, I have no immediate claim. Although I got a kingdom by killing my maternal uncle, Kongsa, the kingdom was to go to my grandfather. So actually, I have no possession of a kingdom. Besides that, I have no fixed aim in life. <laughs> People cannot understand me very well. What is the ultimate goal of my life? They know very well that I was a coward boy in Vrindavan. 
people expected that I would follow in the footsteps of my foster father, Nanda Maharaj, and be faithful to Srimati Radharani and all her friends in the village of Vrindavan. But all of a sudden I left them. I wanted to become a famous prince. Still, I could not have any kingdom, nor could I rule as a prince. People are bewildered about my ultimate goal of life. They do not know whether I'm a coward boy or a prince, whether I'm the son of Nanda Maharaj or the son of Vasudev. Because I have no fixed aim in life, people may call me a vagabond. Therefore, I am surprised that you could select such a vagabond husband. And that brings us to the Gayatri break. We'll be back here at 22 minutes after the hour. Go for him and they hurry up. Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, hey, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman.